Uh, would y'all turn with me for the scripture reading this morning to John 3? We'll be in the third chapter of John for our text this morning. And uh, we'll be looking at one verse. John chapter 3, verse 16. <laughs> but a lot in that verse. Uh, would you stand whenever you find it? Chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do come in the name of Jesus. Lord, grateful to You for gathering us here. Grateful for the testimonies of Your love and grace and mercy towards us. Lord, grateful that we can stand here today as children of God because of Your love for us, because of what You have done for us in Christ. Lord, we're thankful for Your gift, the gift of Your only begotten Son, sent to live and to die for us, for sinners. Lord, we look this morning at a text that is well known. <clears throat> Maybe sometimes we um, suffer from uh, what we might think to be over-familiarity with it. So we pray, Lord, uh, remind us that this is Your Word to us, that it's not just a slogan, but it's the good news, the gospel in a nutshell. Lord, grant us ears to hear. Use this powerful truth, Lord, to change our lives. Be glorified in it all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. While you're being seated, let me just say a quick word of thanks to everybody that worked hard yesterday um, and, uh, and everybody that ate well. I mean, it was, a, it was good. Uh, and I'm, I was in that crowd. <laughs> But it was really a good time, and uh, you know, I think everybody uh, enjoyed the fish. But I mean, I thought, not that that was the only thing. The fellowship was great, and uh, the testimonies were great, and uh, it was just a good time. But I know that you know, uh, you, you you can buy fish these days already caught and cleaned and all that. But sometimes, but uh, but they still you still got to cook them, and it still takes work. So I know there was work that went into that, and and uh, in fact, I think David brought some he caught, didn't you? Did you not this time? Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. Well, it was all good. <laughs> all right. Um, wow, what a what a, a verse this is. You know this. This verse um, is probably the most well-known passage in Scripture. You know, we we live in a, a time that um, probably a little unique for America, the United States of America. And if you go back in history, I, I think you know, there there are a lot of uh, a lot of problems you could point out. You know, in, in some ways we exchange as we move through time. We just kind of change problems. You know, some things get better, other things get worse. But I think one thing that you could 
point at that there's definitely been a decline is Bible literacy. Uh, probably if you go back 50 years and then go back 100 years and then you keep going, you know, over the uh, little more than 200 years that this nation has been a nation, that gradually you go back, you go back, you go back, and you would probably find increased Bible literacy as you go backwards. Um, so, so we've declined in that sense. Um, and you, you can no longer, even when you're witnessing the people, you can no longer even assume that they will have a good working knowledge of characters like Noah and Moses um, or Jesus, for that matter. Uh, they, you know, people, everybody thinks they know who Jesus is um, because Peter Jennings, you know, told them. But <clears throat> there are a lot of misconceptions. Um, but this verse. This verse, most people recognize, and it, it, has, it has probably been the most quoted and memorized Bible passage, um, with the possible exception of Matthew 7.1, judge not lest you be judged. Now that, that one uh, may exceed it. That's a, I mean, that's a close, close tie there, probably. Um, but at any, any rate, um, we do, as I mentioned a moment ago, sometimes hear things so much that, that we maybe lose, lose the importance of what it's really talking about. So, so I do pray that sincerely for all of us, my, you know, myself included, that we, we look at this uh, and receive it for what it truly is, a, a revelation from God about His love for us and contemplate that um, as we look at this passage this morning, uh, I'm glad you know that people hold it up on signs at football games. I mean, that's good. I'm glad, or you know, uh, paint it on their chest or whatever. That's great. But, but um, I guess, but, but the main thing is that we would really understand it, really grasp it, and uh, possess it in a real sense. And I'll come back to that momentarily. Um, we what we're what where we're at here in our in in John's. Um, gospel. Let me just do a little bit of uh, putting us in context here. We're, we're, we're just coming off of Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus um, about the new birth. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and he's obviously being stirred. And, and I think, uh, we'll see later, but as, as you move through the gospel and there are a couple other places that Nicodemus is mentioned and it appears to me that um, Nicodemus becomes a true believer. But at this time, he, he, he's not quite sure about some things, and Jesus begins to talk, about him, talk to him about the, the, the new birth being born again, regeneration. We discussed that last week. And I, I'm going to suggest this to you. Um, this is going to differ a little bit from a lot of, 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 your, of our uh, editors uh, here. Um, but I, I think Jesus' comments run through verse 15, and then verses 16 through 21, which we're going to try to look at today. Now, this morning, I just want to focus in on verse 16, and Lord willing, tonight, come back and finish that section, 16 to 21. But I, I think, and, and, and many believe this, uh, that verses 16 through 21 are actually the comments of John, the apostle. So... Uh, in other words, Jesus comments to Nicodemus end with verse 15. He's just finished talking about verse 14, where Mo, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And there's end of that discussion. And then the Apostle John 
inter, inter, interjects this, intervenes here and says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and, and gives us a little explanation uh, down through verse 21. Now, I mention that because a lot of you, if, which and I do myself, I have a red letter edition here where they have, what they've tried to do is put the words of Jesus in red, but sometimes it's in question as to who's speaking, and this is one of those places. So, in my Bible, as we say, um, verses 16 through 21 are in red, but, but I think that's, uh, that's mistaken. Now, let me also be clear on this. It all comes from God, so <laughs> it doesn't matter in one sense. One of the things that liberal theologians have tried to do is, is put Jesus' words against other um, speakers or authors of Scripture, you know, like put Jesus against Paul or put Jesus against Peter. Well, if you believe in the inspiration of the Scripture, you can't do that. There's perfect harmony. Paul was not preaching a different... I mean, if Paul said it, it's gospel. If it's what we have recorded here. If Jesus said it, it's gospel, what we have recorded here. It's all the Word of the Lord. Okay, But I do think verses 16 through 21 are John narrating here. He's entering back in as the narrator. Um, so, and then that, of course, continues on. So, um, he gives us here in verse 16... Uh, some explanation. Now, this, this has been called, rightly so, for good reason, the little, the little gospel. <laughs> I mean, you get, that's why I said a gospel, the gospel in a nutshell earlier. Here you go. I mean, there's a whole lot more to be said, obviously, but just to kind of condense it, kind of the Reader's Digest, condensed version of the gospel, well, that's what you have in verse 16. The good news of God loving the world so much that He gives His only Son so that we might have life. Now, I want to take th- these words just as John has given them to us, just as the Holy Spirit through John has given them to us because uh, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, but I just want, to, I just want you to know what I'm doing. Um, in case you wonder, why is he going backwards on some of this? But in Greek, the word order matters um, many times. And the word order is what it is for emphasis' sake. So I'm going I'm to move through here, um, through some of these words as they are in the, uh, in the original. And so it's going to sound a little odd. Uh, so, for example, the first word we're going to look at is the word so. For God so, because in the Greek, that's actually the first word in the sentence. So. And then the second word is for, F-O-R, which we'll come to in a moment. So, for God loved the world. So, now this is an important word. And I think that a lot of times it's, it's misunderstood in, in this way. A lot of times we look at this passage, people look at this passage, I've heard this kind of thing said, and, and, and it's not that it's totally wrong, it's just I don't think it's exactly what John is saying here. But people will read this, For God so loved the world. So, for God so loved the world. And they'll say, He loved it this much. This much. Which, certainly, God's, God's love is great. I mean, we can't, we, can't, we can't find the ends of it or sound the depths of it. It's so great. But here, 
John's not talking about quantity. You know, God loved this much. And a lot of times, you know, kids will hold their arms out. He's not talking about quantity here. He's talking about manner. In other words, the way in which God loved the world. The manner in which God loved the world. So, if you translate it that way in English, it would say, for God loved the world in this manner. Or we can do like the Greek does, put it right up front, in this manner. God loved the world. And again, I do think that's, that, that is for emphasis' sake. It's what John wants us to know. John, John likes to talk about the nature of things and the manner of things, you know, how, they, how they work. It's one of the things that we will continually run into. We already have and, and we'll continue to all the way through this, through this gospel. For example, in the prologue, John talked about the nature of the eternal Word, Jesus he was in the beginning with God. He was God. Or that could be translated, He was divine. John is saying that's His nature. He was divine. And He'll continue to do that, as I said. We've already talked about the nature of the new birth. You get over into chapter 4, He talks about the nature of genuine worship. And He just goes on and on and on talking about the nature of things and the manner of things, how, how they work, how they play out. So that's the idea here. For, for God so, that is in this manner He loved the world, He gave His only Son. That's how He loved the world. That's what John is saying. This is how, this is how God demonstrated His love. This is how God showed His love. Or I like the word expression. This is how God expressed His love. In this manner, He gave His only Son that whoever believes on Him should not perish but have eternal life. And the second word in this sentence is for us, it's translated for us, for, F-O-R, Actually, gar in Greek, like the fish, you know, G-A-R is what it looks like. Gar. But for, it's explanatory. For. So, so something is said and then there's explanation. For, thus and so. That's, that's what we have here. Well, what is John explaining? Well, he's, he's going back to Jesus' dialogue with Nicodemus. And I'm probably including all of it, but especially verses 14 and 15. But you, you could also add to that, you know, Jesus' discussion on the new birth. In other words, John has that in view here. Jesus saying, you must be born again or else you cannot even see the kingdom of heaven. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And he talks about the nature of the new birth and the manner of it. It's a sovereign act of God. The Spirit of God is like the wind, blows wherever He wills. And Jesus says that's the way it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And then like we talked about last Sunday night, He talks about the event that made all of that possible. In other words, what is our, our new birth based upon? What, what is the price that was paid to purchase this grace extended to us? Well, it was the offering up of Jesus. So Jesus says in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And the idea in that, that phrase, lifted up, is twofold. Exaltation, 
You hear people use it that way a lot. You know, lift up the name of Jesus, we say. We come together, we sing, or, or we go out and serve, and we want to we lift up the name of Jesus. That is, that is, we want Him to be shown to be great. <laughs> we want people to look at our manner of life and say, boy, they must serve a great God. We lift up His name. But it has a, another meaning too. It's a euphemism for crucifixion. And you can even see that in this analogy. Jesus says, just as the serpent was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So He's meaning on the cross. On the cross. And you say, well, which is it? Is it referring to His exaltation or to His being lifted up on the cross? And the answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> that is His exaltation. That is the point of glorification for Him and for the Father. When He was lifted up, on the cross, in obedience to the Father, out of love for the remission of our sins. For us. For us. So, Jesus says, just as the Son of Man, and by the way, I forgot to point this out a moment ago, but again, in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That's the very same word, not only in English here, but in Greek that we have in verse 16. In this manner, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, in the same manner must the Son of Man be lifted up. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. In fact, there's, much of the wording here is the same, and it's not by coincidence, and I'll try to point that out as we move through it. So, so there's the analogy. Jesus says it's, it's just like when the children of Israel were complaining in the wilderness and God sent plague among, among them in the form of fiery snakes, and they were fiery serpents, the Scripture says. In other words, venomous snakes. And they were being bitten and they were dying. And of course, they came crying out to Moses and to God, and so God told Moses, here's what you, here's what you do. You, you, you make a bronze serpent and you put it on a pole and you put it in the midst of the camp. And anybody who gets bitten, when they look at that bronze serpent, they will live and not die. They will live. Now, there's nothing magical about the bronze serpent. It's, that was just a, an intentional picture, type, a shadow of something to come. Someone to come, and that someone is Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That serpent in the wilderness was just a picture of the Son of Man being lifted up on the cross so that whoever is bitten by sin, and that is everybody, whoever is bitten by sin may look on Him and be saved. Look on Him and live. Or as verse 15 and 16 say it, have eternal life. So now, that's what John has in mind here. Jesus has, has, John has just recorded for us where Jesus has said to Nicodemus, just like lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that, so that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And now John says, for God so loved the world. In other words, he's giving some explanation. What did Jesus mean by the Son of Man must be lifted up? Well, here's what it is, John says. It's the expression of God's love. It's the means, it's the way that God has chosen 
to provide atonement for sinners through the sacrifice, through the lifting up, the crucifixion of Christ. So, for loved. <laughs> Again, emphasis. In this manner, loved. God's, uh, John, rather. John says, in this manner, loved the God. That is, God loved in this manner. Now, he's giving us something here about the nature of God in the midst of this sentence. God loves. It's His very nature. In fact, this same apostle writes that, doesn't he, in 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4.16. God is love. God is love. It's, it's part of the very essence of His nature. So it must be expressed. It must be expressed. And it has been and always will be. Has been from eternity past and always will be. And this is one form in which it was expressed. This is, in fact, this is the supreme form in which it is expressed in reference to us. God loved by giving His Son. Now, let's just park there for just a moment. Now, you know, and it's, it's how, do you, how do you sufficiently talk about the love of God? <laughs> how, how do you adequately talk about the love of God? I don't know. It's big. It's great. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. You, it, take all the superlatives that you can think of and just pile them up and you'll still fall short. But I do want to say this. I want to, I want to warn us against two extremes that we just naturally go to. The first one is that we take God's love for granted. Or you might say it this way, we, we, we assume it. After all, the Bible does say God is love, right? And so we just assume it and we, and we use that as a license to sin. Remember, if, you, if you're here on Wednesday night, you know we've been going through the book of Jude and that's one of the problems that um, the author is addressing there. He says of those who were opposing Him, they pervert the grace of our God. They pervert the grace of our God. And they, what they do is make it a license to sin. So, one wrong extreme is to have a, a, a false view of the greatness of God's love in the sense that, you know, we, we can just, it, it just doesn't matter how we think, how we live, what we do. God loves us because He loves everybody. And we can use that as a license for sin. But there's another extreme that I think also is very dangerous. It may sound laudable, but 
uh, I think dangerous nonetheless. And that is that we can somehow think that He cannot love us. Just yesterday I was speaking with someone who said that, or, or they didn't say that, but they said that they are tempted to think that way. God, God can't love me. Well, that's, again, it may sound more laudable than what I was talking about a moment ago, but that is equally a sin. God has said that He loved, that He is love, and that, as we see here, He loved, and He has expressed His love. And so we must take Him at His word. And I understand the temptation. Oh, I understand. I understand the temptation all too well. Unfortunately, to doubt God's love. But He's given us His Word. He's given us His Word. And He is faithful. He is faithful. So this is not a light thing. When John says, God loved. And then if you just kind of Think about the background of that, that all the Scripture tells us about the holiness of God and all that the Scripture tells us about our own sinfulness and what we deserve. Think about all of that in the background of this and and yet God says through the Apostle John here that He loved us. He loved us. God loved. For God so loved. That is, in this manner, God loved the world. The Son of Man must be lifted up because in this manner, this is the way in which God loved the world. He gives His only Son. I need to make a couple of points here about this word world. That's the next one we're going to look at. And we're going to move on to main point number two here. Right now we're talking about the love, God's love. Let me say a couple of things real quick. I'll try to be quick on this about the world. This is a very common word that John uses here, the word cosmos, where, where we get our word cosmology. or uh, we, we even use it... Um, you know, cosmic, we're talking about um, the universe. And um, cosmetics comes from the same because it has to do with order. So, uh, you know, women try to uh, get their face in order, you know. <laughs> cosmetics and uh, <laughs> comes from the same word. So it, so it can have the idea of, of order, like, like um, the divine order that, that God has put everything in, the suns, moons, stars, and, you know, how He's laid out everything. You know, the Scripture says he, he stretched out the heavens like a, like a uh, curtain. Um, or it, it, can, it can mean the world like, like the earth. Or it can mean the world like all the people in the world. Or it can mean, and, and in fact, John often uses it in this last sense, it can mean the world in the sense of the world system. Love not the world, John says in his epistle. Don't love the world, neither the things of the world. 
Because if you do, you're the enemy of God. So here, though, and this sounds, some, sounds contradictory, doesn't it, on the surface, we're told don't love the world, and yet here John says God loved the world. In this manner, God loved the world. He loved Tan Cosmon, the world. Two things. John is speaking of a universal offer. Um, but, but again, I want to guard against a couple of things. One, when, we, when I say that, we, I don't mean by that, uh, I'm not referring to universalism. In other words, the fact that John says God loved the world does not indicate that every single person will be saved. It's not an indication that every single person's sins were atoned for when Christ died on the cross at Calvary. So it, it does speak universally, the world, but it does not mean that everybody will be saved or that everybody's sins have been atoned for. He's going to show us who, who, he's, who it's applicable to. Secondly, um, so in other words, what I'm, let me just reiterate real quick. In other words, what I'm saying there is it does mean world in the sense of all people. But it does not indicate that all people, all individuals will be saved. So secondly, um, the term world should not be limited to the elect. In other words, those who were chosen, Ephesians 1 says we're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's, that's who we refer to, that's who the Scripture refers to as the elect. Those who were chosen by God to be saved, to be given, granted faith. Now, the term world here, in, in this passage, I think should not be understood to be a reference to ex- exclusively to the elect. Um, A.W. Pink makes that mistake in his, uh, in his otherwise great book, <laughs> The Sovereignty of God. Um, if, you want, if you want to do a really good study, a really good read on the sovereignty of God, read A.W. Pink's The Sovereignty of God. That's the title of it. Excellent book. But he does make this mistake, uh, I think, in an effort to make John 3.16 fit his system, you know, his, his understanding of, of uh, soteriology, uh, salvation, that, uh, that he mishandles it. And he, he says that it obviously here refers just to the elect because God can't love the non-elect. Something to that effect. I'm not quoting him, but, but uh, that's essentially what he says. And I think what John is saying here is just exactly what it sounds like he's saying on the surface. God loved the world. Now, I will say this. I think primarily what John has in focus here is that he's not... That is, this, this offer of salvation is not limited to a specific ethnic group. The Jews, for example. Because that's, that's how they would have thought in that day. Salvation is... Jesus himself in, in John 4 says salvation is of the Jews. And, and a lot of them thought that that meant it's only for the Jews. 
I think that's what John is coming against here. No, it's for the whole world. We've already seen John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. This same apostle John writes in his epistle, He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. But there is a qualifier. So we move to God's gift. God's gift. And we'll come to the qualifier here in a moment. God so loved the world that He gave. Now, there's the mention of the gift. In other words, in this manner, God loved the world He gave. Now, John's already told us something about the nature of God. He loves. And in fact, He says He loved. He's demonstrated His love. He's made it known. He's expressed it in this manner. Well, what is that? He loved. And He gave. So in this manner, He gave. So now He's telling us something about the nature of His love. God, in His nature, loves. And the nature of His love is that it is a giving love. He gave. For God loved the world in this manner. He gave His only Son. This is the supreme expression of love. The giving of God's only Son. He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever believed on Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, Here's the qualifier I was referring to a moment ago. In this manner, God loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. So we've got God's love, God's gift. Now we've got God's promise. But... There's a condition. There's a qualifier for realizing the blessings of this promise. There's a qualifier for being a recipient of this expression of God's love. In this manner, God loved the world that He gave His only Son, of course, a reference to Jesus, His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, literally, that the believing ones, the believing, those who believe. So there's the qualifier. God's love is expressed. God, in fact, we can say it this way. God's love for the world is expressed in that He gave His only begotten Son, the one most precious to Him, He gave as a sacrifice for or so that the believing ones should not perish. So he says he loved the world in this manner. He gave his son so that the believing ones should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, who are the believing ones? 
Now, this is one of those places I said earlier. You got the gospel in a nutshell here, but there really is a lot, lot, lot more to be said, right? This is one of those places. And the rest of the gospel, uh, not to mention the rest of the Bible, will spell that out. For example, in John 8, Jesus says, if you continue in My Word, you're My disciples indeed, or, or you're truly My disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He says, if, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. So, the believing ones, and again, there's much more that could be said, but just to mention a couple of things, the believing ones are those who Trust in Him, those who walk in obedience to Him, those who continue in His Word. Now it's those, John is saying, who benefit from this expression of God's love. In this manner, God loved the world. So the believing ones are not Again, not limited to some particular ethnic group. It's not you know, just Jews. It's not just Americans. It's not just certain nationality. It's, it's not just well-to-do people or not just poor people. It's the world. It's a group of people Representative of the whole world in the book of Revelation, every tribe, every tongue, every kindred, every nation. In other words, all peoples, plural, all peoples who believe. That's the qualifier. In this manner, God loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes, that is the believing ones, in Him should not perish, that is, not be destroyed, but have everlasting life. Two things real quick. Number one, by implication, John is saying, and of course Jesus will say this explicitly in other places, um, he, he'll, he will, we will see, He will tell, tell the Pharisees, if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And that's implied here. So that whoever believes should not perish. So by implication, he's saying the unbelievers will perish. As a matter of fact, by implication, he's saying everybody would perish except that in this manner, God loved the world and gave His Son so that the believing ones would not perish. And it's implied there, I think, that he's kind of he's, he's snatching us out of a state of perishing. In other words, it's not nobody's neutral. We didn't come into this thing on neutral ground. We're, we were all perishing. But now, John is saying, there's hope for the believing ones. God has demonstrated His love in this manner that those who believe should not perish, but have, and this is the last thing, but have eternal life. Eternal life. 
And I said there's some similarities here. This in in uh, uh, from from verse 14 on down to verse 16, there a lot of the same language used. This is another example, eternal life. So, in in verse 15, after giving the analogy of Moses and the serpent, Jesus says that whoever, in other words, the Son of Man, must be lifted up, so that whoever believes, same exact phrase, the believing ones, Son of Man must be lifted up, so that the believing ones that is, those who believe in Him may have eternal life or everlasting life. Now, the same thing here in verse 16. So that the believing ones should not perish, but have eternal life. So, in this manner God loved the world. He said, if you believe on Christ, you won't be destroyed. You will live forever. Now, there's going to be more said on that too. John 17, 3, Jesus in His prayer to the Father says, This is eternal life, that they may know You, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom You sent. So, even the term eternal life is more than just continual existence. It's not that we just go on existing forever, although we will. But it's much, much more than that. According to John 17.3, it is that we know Him. So He loved the world in this manner that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So forever intimate knowledge of Him. It is so that we may know God and enjoy Him forever. One last word I want to key in on here, and that's that word have. And it's used in verse 15, it's used again in verse 16, and it speaks of possession. In this manner God loved the world so that you may have something. Makes sense, doesn't it? Because he's talking about a gift. He gave. He gave so that we could have. God loved the world in this manner. He desired that you and I have everlasting life. And He loved us so much that He makes it happen. He gave His only begotten Son. That's why I said earlier, uh, I understand the doubts. Can God really love me? But, do you believe? Do you believe on Christ? Then let me assure you, God is true to His Word. He demonstrated His love. In this manner, He loved he gave His only begotten Son so that you would not perish, so that the believers would not perish, but have everlasting life. Are you a believer? You continue in the Word of Christ? You keep His commandments? Do you love Christ? That's, that's evidence of God's love. And it's an assurance of the, recip- the, the receiving of His promises. He did these things so that we would have the fullness 
of His promises. Everlasting life. Would you stand please? Part of the good news is that the everlasting life starts here and now. I mean, you don't have to wait till you die to know eternal life. It's do you believe? Do you believe on Christ? Are you believing in Him like John says here? Because this is how God has made His love for the world known. This is how God has expressed His love for the world. By giving His only begotten Son. And this is the only way. He, he, didn't, he didn't give you know, this plan over here and this plan over here, plan A, B, C, D. It's one way. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Him? You do. You enter into eternal life now. Now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for Your Word and for Your promises. And Lord, I don't know that it's humanly possible for us to fully realize Your love. But we certainly ask, Lord, that we all, each of us, come to a greater understanding. That we may have a better grasp of this amazing love that You have lavished upon Your people. So that as a result, we, we just are more in awe of You. We thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your faithfulness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.